Syndicated source material. What is going on, everybody? It's been a while since we've done one of these syndicated source materials, and we're kind of pulling this one out of the archives to coincide with the Batman film that will be released soon. What we've decided to do here is re-release our coverage of the Batman comic story, Hush. Now, this originally aired in three parts across three weeks, episodes 86 through 88, from October 10th of 2016 to October 24th, 2016. The original length was about an hour and 42 minutes altogether, but we've got it edited down to a total of about an hour and 10 minutes. My guests on the podcast are Ronnie Adams and Jason Teasley. Just be aware, there's a bit of an echo. Again, this is the Blog Talk Radio days, so... But, after the first half hour... It goes away. Mainly, it's when I'm speaking and Teasley speaking. We discovered it was on Ronnie's end. uh, So about the half hour mark, he disconnected and came back in and the echo goes away. So do not let that deter you from our discussion of Batman's Hush. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Source Material. Tonight's episode heads back to the Batcave to discuss arguably one of the best recent Batman stories told. Written by Jeff Loeb and penciled by Jim Lee in 2002 and 2003, Batman's Hush put the world's greatest detective into another tremendous whodunit mystery. Introducing a new villain to Batman's rogues gallery, Hush masterfully used psychology to torment the Cape Crusader over a 12-issue arc, delivering a potent story to readers at the time and a tale that still holds up today. Accompanying me on this journey is none other than Radulich and Broadcasting Network resident evil ginger himself, Jason Teasley, and the Screaming Boy podcast's own Ronnie Adams. Don't forget to give that Radulich and Broadcasting Network Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts that we have to offer. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so by finding me at Stiznarki. Also, the Source Material Twitter is at SourceMatCast. Okay, fans, here we go. Don that cape, polish that batarang, and tune up that Batmobile. Our discussion of Hush starts right now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another special episode of Source Material to discuss a, a book that has been... Jason Teasley has been wanting to talk this book for quite a while. So much, in fact, that he had this scheduled like, I don't know, probably about six months ago. And I was like, man, we got we got we're putting it off till then. We're putting it off till September, October, somewhere around there. He continued to remind me about it because this was not going to get past Jason Teasley. So tonight I have invited, of course, my good friend Jason Teasley onto the podcast. And we're going to be discussing DC and Jim Lee Hush. Uh, and to join us here this evening is our good friend from the Screaming Boy podcast himself. His name is Ronnie Adams. First off, Ronnie Adams, let me ask you, sir, how you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing good? I, I, I'm doing good, man. I, I'm ready to talk some some comics, Yeah, especially some Jim Lee. I love me some Jim Lee. How about you, Jason Teasley? How you doing tonight, sir? I am doing fantastic, guys, especially getting to talk about my second favorite Batman graphic novel. And like you said, Jesse, we've, as soon as you started Source Material, you asked what stories to cover. I, there was there was three that I told you that I would drive to Marietta and murder you if I was not on. <laughs> yeah. one, one was covering my favorite Marvel villain, Carnage, mm-hmm. the Mar- Maximum Carnage arc. Two was the killing joke that I got the... 
privilege of uh, sharing the airways with you and Ronnie. And we had a really great discussion about that. And then there's Hush because Hush is a spectrum of the Batman Rose Gallery with a lot of twists and turns. Yeah, man, this is a good book. I'll go ahead and talk about when I first heard about this piece of work. This was back. I think this came out in early 2000s, 2002, 2003. So I was at... At that point in time, I was at, uh, I was working in Bluefield, West Virginia. And I think I've told you guys this story. I worked there from 2003, 2004, uh, ran an arcade down there. That was in the mall. If your malls are similar to way to, to the way mine was, there was always a bookstore in the mall. You can always go find like a Walden Books or, or something like that. Walden Books was, I think it was Walden Books is what we had there in, in uh, the Bluefield Mall. I can't remember the name of the mall. It's like Mercer Mall or something. Anyway. Went down there one day to go check and, and, and always loved going to the comic book section because you go find yourself a good graphic novel or something like that. I always wanted to see what was on the racks just to check it out. And I can remember the, seeing the graphic novel of this at the time. Now, I didn't read through it when the graphic novel came out. I think I picked up Hush a couple years later from the library. Um, it was very, very impressed. Number one, Jim Lee's art is unmistakable for me. Uh, it's something that I see on, I, I see anything that's got Jim Lee's hand on it. And I'm going to, I immediately recognize it again, being a child of the nineties and, and growing up with comics and what kind of got me back into comics at that, is, that <coughs> at that time was, was image. Of course, Jim Lee was on X-Men prior to leaving Marvel. And I was following X-Men a good bit myself. So I knew what Jim Lee's art looked like. Uh, wasn't really. I didn't really become a fan until shortly after he left. Teasley, when did you first find Hush? Was this something that you found immediately after it got released, or was it? Uh, it was probably about a month after its release. I, I came across, you know, being the, you know, everybody knows I'm a huge Batman the Animated Series fan, and I was just getting back into comics. Somebody suggested that uh, Jim Lee. Had took over and wanted, was doing a Batman arc. And I was like, hmm. I was like, uh, I, I like Jim Lee, and um, I, I love me some Batman. And they was like, yeah, it, it centralizes and covers a lot of the Rose Gallery and the entire arc. And I was like, really? So it kind of piqued my interest. They was like, yeah, it's it's a classic detective story. Uh-huh. It, it's, it's rooted in the old Batman detective first style. And I was like, oh, great. I was like, you know, I was like, I'm in. They was like, yeah, there's a lot of cameos. Once you once you pick it up, you get to the first chapter, you won't put it down. I was like, all right, cool. So I uh, I did exactly that. I I found it at a I think it was maybe a Barnes and Noble or something, and I bought it. Got home, sat down. A couple hours later, I I finished it for the second time because I went through it the first time, and I was just, just so entranced in the story. Then I went back and started seeing little nuances and picking up small stuff. So I enjoyed it the second time just as much as I enjoyed it the very first time that I read it. Writing credits go to a Jeff Loeb, whose name I've heard before. He's got his name attached to a lot of things, Marvel and DC. And he does a good job here with this particular story. Jeff Loeb, you guys may remember from some of the the color related stories that are in like Marvel. There was uh, like Hulk Gray. I think that was done. Yeah. That was done by Jeff uh, Spider-Man. 
or Daredevil Yellow and then Spider-Man Blue. Mm-hmm. Those are the color, the color story arcs that I can recall he had his hand in. Doing some research, I'd heard this guy was pretty controversial. I can't really say that, you know, as we go through this book, there isn't a whole lot to me that seems like this is this is one of those works where he was controversial in any way. Now, we'll talk a little bit about that. Maybe you guys have an opinion here. But uh, real quickly, Ronnie, I mean, back to you, buddy. What 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 brought you to Hush first and foremost? Oh, word of mouth. Everybody was like crazy about it, telling me everything about it. So that's what got me to to open up to it and read it. I assume you got this graphic novel form, not issue-wise off the the shelf or anything? No, no, no. Okay. This is at a time, I mean, 2002, 2003, this is at a time where I'm not collecting. I was reading. I was reading plenty of comics, but collecting at that time, I I wasn't. There was probably a gap between 98, 99 to, I'd say, 2000, 2010. (laughs) So we're talking more than 10 years where I was just like, I'm not, I didn't have the money to set aside, but... Mm -hmm. You know, that's what the library's for. And it turns out well, that's what the Internet's for also. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and get into this. So I also want to give credit to the anchor here, Scott Williams, whose name I've seen on plenty of image stuff, plenty of other titles. The guy's got some talent. He's the anchor on this. So hush. OK, that synopsis is coming up. But first, let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M Network, for that free 30-day trial. We're getting ready to get into the story here. Batman, uh, right at the beginning of the story, is in the midst of rescuing this young boy who's been held for ransom. The person that's holding him for ransom is one of Batman's rogues, Killer Croc. Uh, Facing off with Killer Croc, uh, Catwoman ends up intervening and taking the money and escapes. Now, she hops in here, and if anybody's familiar with who Catwoman is, she's a thief, an expert thief. She hops in, takes this money, and now Batman's got another problem. He's got to go and try, and after he rescues the boy, he's now got to go try get the money back. Uh, So while he's chasing Catwoman, he's going across Gotham, uh, as he's swinging across the air, all of a sudden something snaps his bat line. He falls to the ground. Uh, so with so much force, force, as a matter of fact, he call, I think he falls in a crime alley and there's all these hobos waiting for him. But he falls with such impact that he actually messes himself up pretty bad, like fractures his skull. And he's kind of out of the game. Now, that's kind of the first issue there. Uh, our second issue shows Batman as he's laying there unconscious. He actually gets rescued by the Huntress, who is an ally of Batman. The Huntress shows up. She's, you know, somewhat of a vigilante, just like just like Batman. We also find out that Catwoman was under the influence of Poison Ivy. Uh, she had used her powers of manipulation to take control of the, th- of, of the thief with the goal of stealing the ransom money. Batman, Bruce Wayne, uh, as he is rescued by the Huntress, who pretty much just t- picks him up, shoves him into the Batmobile, and then the Batmobile, with the help of Oracle, is guided home. Uh, and Alfred kind of does what he can, but he knows that he is kind of limited. He's not a brain surgeon. So he's got to figure out somebody that can save the Batman, save Bruce Wayne. And as he's laying there, Bruce Wayne taps out in Morse code because he can't apparently talk. He's aware of what's going on, I assume. He taps out in Morse code to get a hold of this guy by the name of Thomas Elliot. Now, Thomas Elliot is 
Uh, he's an important factor in this book. Okay. And he's a retcon. Uh, Jeff Loeb created this guy uh, as a, and pretty much his backstory is he's a child, childhood friend of Bruce Wayne. As a matter of fact, it was prior to Batman's, you know, parents getting killed that they were friends. So Thomas Elliot has grown up to this, to be this great brain surgeon. And sure enough, he says, Hey, he taps out Alfred. Hey, you know, give me Thomas Elliot. So Thomas Elliot, comes in and helps him out uh, and and does some surgery and he's he's going to be saved. There is a mysterious figure at the end of this chapter that seems to be upset that Bruce Wayne is still alive. This is kind of where we're getting the kind of the glimpses to the person behind this this nefarious plan as as to what is exactly is going on here. This this there's this mysterious figure that's kind of pulling all the strings. Now chapter three starts off with a somewhat recovered Batman re- interrogating Killer Croc. You know he's trying to figure out okay who put you up to this? Why is this? Why were you told to go kidnap this kid? Because he knows that Killer Croc would not do this. Uh, this is not Killer Croc's mo in any way. Now Killer Croc escapes. Batman actually manages to put a tracking device on him. You know, this is apparently all part of the plan, even though it looked like this escape was was horrendous and all sorts of stuff went wrong. As a matter of fact, it all went according to Batman's plan in order to kind of let Killer Croc go and see where he's going to lead him. So he gets this. He has this tracking device he got into Killer Croc's spine or something like that, and he's following on that. Meanwhile, Amanda Waller. She's tied into Suicide Squad. I'm not up on that. You guys are. So you guys might have to fill me in. But Amanda Waller indicates that if Batman tells tells Batman, hey, look, if you don't get him, we will. We'll bring him back. Now, as Batman is chasing after Killer Croc, I think I think that's what he's doing here. Someone takes out the bat a tire on the Batmobile. Now, even though the Batmobile flips, he realizes that, you know, this is not some ordinary weapon that can just take out the tire on the Batmobile. These tires are like high grade military issue. You know, they're not just normally going to get a flat. They're the Batman of tires. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. He soldiers on through. And he ends up finding Croc once more and they get into a battle. He tries to get Batman or Batman tries to get Croc to, to trust him. Well, Amanda Waller foils all that by showing up, throwing a net over Croc and then taking him away. Now, Catwoman ended up getting involved in this also. Now, the, the important part about this chapter in chapter three is at the end, even though Killer Croc is gone, he's kind of lost a little bit of his lead. Catwoman, with her showing up, she ends up telling Batman it, Poison Ivy was the one to put me up to taking the ransom money. They kind of share some words, but at the end, the Batman and Catwoman kiss. All right. Now there's been some tension between these two before some feelings. How's that? We'll say feelings from what I understand. They've kissed before, but this seems to be a pretty big deal in this particular instance. Uh, So they share a kiss and then we find out that Poison Ivy, she's holed up in Metropolis. Anybody who's familiar with what Metropolis is or where Metropolis is at, that's, you know, the story is going to be getting interesting. Hmm. Some people might disagree with me, but this is one retcon that I didn't mind at all. You talking Um, about Thomas Elliot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't know much about his his past as a child. Other, than, I mean, the death of his parents and the birth of Batman has been done to death. I mean, even in the beginning of this uh, graphic novel that I have, it does the death of his parents again. Again, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what is no? It's it's unnecessary. The the retcon of um, Thomas Elliot is is very 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 influential. In one of the greatest stories, I mean, we'll go ahead. I mean, 
we'll we'll delve into the um, connection later on in this discussion. But uh, Thomas Elliot, it's it's trying to humanize Bruce and ground him and give a little insight to who he was before Batman. Because I mean, really, you don't have any knowledge before Batman Year One other than his parents getting killed. When he went back and wrote this and added these um, quirks and stuff of Bruce as a kid and how Bruce seen the world as a young child gives you insight of how he grew into seeing Batman because uh, I don't know if it's in the first, I'm pretty sure it's in the first four issues that it shows them going to Metropolis and seeing one of our most favorite iconic superheroes. Him and Thomas were taken in Metropolis by Batman's dad and it's, and it, it kind of shows that, you know, seeing Superman as a young child and seeing what he was doing kind of planted those seeds for Batman, Bruce to become Batman and want to do the right thing justice of uh, Gotham. Yeah, become a hero. Exactly. Well, every little boy, <clears throat> no matter who you are, you want to be a, you want to be some sort of hero. You want to be a cowboy. You want to be Superman. You want to be somebody. I did. And- I wanted to be the bad guy. <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> so at the end of chapter three, like I said, we we get the kiss there. Now chapter four has Thomas catching up to Bruce, showing some concern. Now Bruce has made his way over to Metropolis. I think they run into each other at the airport or something yeah. like that. But he makes his way over to Metropolis. Now this, just like you had mentioned, Teasley, in chapter four is where they encountered Green. I think it was Green Lantern. As a matter of fact, he was the one flying in the sky. Alan, the Alan Scott Green Lantern, by the way. By the way, Bruce ends up Bruce going ends to the Daily, Planet. the Daily Planet. He finds, he finds Superman, Superman, or I should say or Clark, should Clark Kent. Kent. Uh, they kind of have a little bit of a talk. Of a talk. Uh, they got to figure. Uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, Bruce Wayne is trying Wayne to put in, trying to put, in, put together put things together as to things try and track down track where down Poison Ivy's at. Uh, Catwoman also helps out. And they track down Ivy and helps Batman attempt to subdue her. However, however, there's only one problem. Ivy has a heavy hitter in her corner by the name of Superman. All right. Yeah, that's a big one. I like the whole Catwoman Ivy panels. I mean, very colorful, very intriguing. Great, great artwork. You kind of see the um, the the crux of how things are going to play out and the ride you're about to go on because you see three big names in the Batman Rhodes Gallery right off the bat. Uh, you see the relationship that is always talked about and always hinted about in different genres of Batman with uh, Catwoman. Also, you get to see some of the Bat family. You get to see Huntress. It's setting you up right off the bat for something epic. So I like I like how it it starts. It doesn't. It's not a slow burn. It throws you right into the story, and it starts. You're starting to question how everything starts to tie together, and you're only four issues in. Yeah, and when it comes to the art, man, I'm telling you, dude. Uh, again, I can't praise this enough. How about Thomas Elliot? I mean, Ronnie said he didn't mind the retcon. What, what do you think here, man? We got Thomas Elliot showing up. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I, like I said, like when I was feeling dead air there, it's the humanization of Bruce Wayne. It's showing how he, like some of the stuff that was instilled in him and that friendship that he wasn't always this loner growing up, that he actually had some human interactions as a child. And his backstory is more than just his parents dying. Ronnie Adams, Gotham versus Metropolis. I, I'm, I'm just curious, man. You want to give us your 
take on the different setting we're in here? The big difference is Gotham is dirty <laughs> and gritty and dark. Metropolis seems almost more technologically advanced night and day that's the best way i can put it night and day and isn't how that's usually shown in the comic books in general mm-hmm. because Go- gotham is pretty much the dark gritty underbelly of cities and comics and metropolis is this shining beacon oh absolutely they continue it in this arc by showing that it even shows in the heroes that that the that are in both uh, both cities i mean because i mean you look at superman he's a big blue boy scout he is the shining beacon that everybody's, you know, of hope and ju- truth, justice, American way, uh-huh. you know. And then you look at Batman, and he's just a <laughs> grizzled crime fighter that beats the crap out of people, and um, he does it for not only justice but for vengeance in his own way. You know, he has to get back at the at the person that took his parents away from him. I think I would rather live in Gotham. I'm <laughs> not Gotham, but the Metropolis. Oh, I was to say, wait, what? I'd rather be in Gotham. Well, that's because you're the evil ginger. <laughs> oh, yeah. How about the end of this fourth issue, Teasley? Poison Ivy has Superman. You got any thoughts on this one? Uh, I, 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 liked it. I liked it showing that how, because Ivy is kind of a, is not very well taken seriously, I guess you could say. Uh-huh. It's kind of like a BC level rogue in the galley. But in this, it shows that her hypnotism over individuals can even seduce the most powerful man in the universe. Yeah. In the DC comic universe, I guess. She can have... I don't remember her interaction with (laughs) E-Man. Sorry, go ahead, TJ. I will stab you. She can actually be a A A-list villain if she actually wanted to be, but she is kind of BC-list level because she really doesn't have that mean streak. She doesn't have that. She does. She uses her powers in evil to suit a mean, not to like you know take over the world because she could easily do that. Uh-huh. But she uses it. She uses it to satisfy her own needs, which is to be a planeteer, I guess. And planeteer. What? It steps her game up a little bit when she seduces and puts Superman under her trance. Mm-hmm. Oh man! I mean, I remember first reading this particular this book. Particular book. And going, oh my gosh, man, it's going to be Superman, Batman, and Superman's under the influence of Poison Ivy. I couldn't wait to get to the next chapter. You guys have anything else you'd like to say about the first four? I like the throwback to his car, to the Batmobile. Do you notice that it has the shield on the front of it? But if you look at the car, this, uh, you know, this was kind of a throwback to that. Interesting. Good point out, man. And. There's a lot of, you know, interesting things that are brought up from Batman's past in this book. One of the guys that I remember seeing review the book was talking about how he takes each person, Jeff takes each person that is involved in this story and kind of gives you just a maybe a page of history between them and Batman. Usually it's the people that he's worked with in the past. past. A lot of times it's the the villains, as we're going to find out here. Chapter 5, Batman and Catwoman barely escape 
into a lead line sewer system. They've got to get the heck out of Dodge. All right. Superman's there. They just barely escape into this uh, lead line sewer system. So they kind of know what they're doing. Batman and, and his utility belt produce a kryptonite ring. So Batman's got to have something to use against Superman here. He he apparently just carries this around because you never know when you're going to need it. So he puts this. He puts this. Well, he probably had it when he went to Metropolis. Batman is the ultimate tactician. He is prepared for anything. So yeah, I mean, and if you know any of the continuity through any genre in any story arc, Batman doesn't really trust anybody, and that includes Superman. They they kind of are at odds, and he has a contingency plan for everybody. Because in the Justice League, he's the only one without superpowers. So he has to be on the same level. So he uses his intelligence and puts in contingency plans to eliminate anybody that might go rogue. So he's got to be ready. He's in Metropolis. He knows Superman's around. You know, a doubtful that he expected the, him to turn on him. But just in case, he's he's got the he's got the ring there. Catwoman kind of get. I think they split up, as a matter of fact. Now, we get Batman versus Superman here. With the aid of the ring, hypersonics, a little deception about a load of gas main that's right there, uh, and some high voltage, it slows Superman down a little. Batman depended upon, just like uh, Teasley and Ronnie had mentioned there, his Superman's Boy Scout attitude. So when he's doing that, as Superman is about to deliver the killing blow to Batman, he looks at him and says, hey, look up. Catwoman had meanwhile made her way to the Daily Planet and threw, uh, she, she threw Lois Lane out of a window. Oh, imagine that. <laughs> so Lois Lane is coming down and Batman looks at her and looks at Superman and says, you got one choice. You can go up and save her or you can kill me. And of course, the best decision is made by Superman. Surprise, surprise. Flies up, saves Lois, the love of his life. Also saves Batman in the process. He's, he's able to get away. All right. I want to ask you a quick question. Sure. This sure. goes back to comic book lore. Why is it when Superman saves somebody and catches them from falling that they end up with no bodily injuries or anything? But Spider-Man can snap a lady, a girl's neck. Superman, I'm not getting into the physics of it. Thank you. Um, a body coming down, Superman coming up, Superman's indestructible. There's going to be some broken bones upon contact. He adjusts his trajectory. No, he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, no, he doesn't. I studied this. Mm. I, took a, I took a class at this. At sure. College. It was First of all, liar. <laughs> oh, how do you know I didn't take a class at a community college online? You didn't take a class. I, I went to class. <laughs> the bunk. Uh, it's doubtful. It's doubtful. Okay, so Lois is saved. At the end of all this, Superman and Batman are on the rooftops discussing, you know, what exactly happened. And Superman's very pleased with the fact that Batman's the one with the kryptonite ring and that can keep him in check. Let me just go ahead and ask you here real quick. And before we go to chapter six, Ronnie, do you think Superman is wrong to trust Batman with the kryptonite ring? Not really, no, because, I mean, while he's not infallible, he's the only one that is 
calculated enough to use it. Okay. I mean, because I mean, you look at it. Um, Green Lantern, he's not going to put it on the ring. He's not going to yeah, all these all these other superheroes. They're not really going to do it, you know, because Superman is their friend, and they're not going to take it to the to the level it needs to be if he goes rogue. I know this is not within canon or anything, but you look at the Injustice storyline. Who who is who was the only one that could have taken him down? It was Batman. You know, you give it to any of the guys that 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 are on the the league with him or any of his friends or anything like that. They're not going to use it on him. They're not going to kill Superman because he's Superman. But you give it to a guy who you give it to a guy as calculating as and you know at times you know he just he does what needs to be done. I'm not saying he would kill Superman, but he's going to beat the crap out of him with it. He's going to take him down. He's going to make sure he doesn't get back up. Ultimately, to save Gotham, to save the world, he's the only one that has the the cojones to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the only one that uh, he can he can rely on. Okay. Next up, Chapter Six: Bruce Wayne, not Batman. Uh, this is something right up your alley here, Teasley. Uh, Bruce Wayne, Selena Kyle, not Catwoman. Uh, a lady by the name of Leslie and Thomas Elliot attend the opera. Does that look like I go to the opera? <laughs> yes. No, but the, the person that appears here at the opera, uh, that makes me think that uh, you're, you're, you'd be more interested. As Harley Quinn shows up, instigates a robbery. Bruce finds a way to change the Batman. Selena changes the Catwoman. Now, remind you, Batman knows Selena Kyle as Catwoman, but it's not the other way around. At this, point. At this point. So anyway, they both so anyway, get they dressed both up get, uh, as they're trying as they're to trying foil to this, robbery. this robbery. Harley mentions Harley something mentions about going off script, script supporting that this may be staged in some way. Now, Batman has Batman to save has Catwoman to save at one point, and Harley gets out gets the back out of the, the back. uh opera house however however thomas elliott thomas elliott who's, who's you know he's he's got some gumption, got some gumption. uh as she steals, uh, as she steals a steals necklace, necklace from, him from him that was given to him from his mother she takes off eric thomas takes off after and as he's as he goes outside batman follows and shortly thereafter comes upon thomas elliott dead there in the alley with a pistol that says bang hovering over him the Joker. Now, Thomas Elliot's Thomas dead. Elliot's now, Chapter seven chapter is seven nothing, is but, nothing but, but Batman beating the crap out of the Joker. Uh, I mean, just uh, I mean, uh, what's really cool really about cool this particular issue is that, is that all, with every like two or three like blows, we kind of look back at Batman and how uh, you know his his life life was changed or. Somehow affected, somehow affected by the joke and that's pretty much that's chapter seven uh, is, <laughs> except for, i mean he's about to kill the joke catwoman tries to stop batman from doing it and he's in, so enraged that he like punches catwoman in the shoulder but prior to him uh, delivering the killing blow to the joker commissioner gordon shows up who's not the commissioner uh, apparently he's apparently retired, but he shows up and he's able to stop Batman from making Batman from killing him. So okay, we see, like I said, we see a lot of highlights of the history of the Joker and Batman. The Joker is taken away to Arkham Asylum. Chapter eight hits. We get a we get a kind of an idea of the falling away of the friendship between Thomas Elliot and Bruce as Bruce remembers at his funeral. Uh, the past uh, the between past. the two. You know, Bruce went off, Bruce to, went off to college, and of course, I don't think he went off to college. I know he was getting trained by assassins while Thomas Elliot was at college. No, nah, he went off to a boarding school, I believe. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So he, so he, they kind of go their separate ways. 
Now, there's a a bit in here. The biggest bit of chapter eight is about how Bruce reveals his identity, Batman's identity to Catwoman. Uh, and at the end, when both of these things happen, which happen, I think, pretty much on the same page, the Joker, who is in, uh, he's in Arkham Asylum, gets his bail posted or gets released, I think, or something happens. I can't remember. By one face himself, Harvey Dent. I call him on one face. Yeah, I was going to say, did you just say one face? That's because if you look at it, he is completely whole now. There is no two face. How in the world could this be? Why did this happen? Why is he in there posting bail and representing the Joker? And that's where we leave where chapter we leave eight. Chapter Teasley. Yes. Chapter five through five eight, man. Through what do you think, man? It's the real meat of the story, the art. You're starting to see things getting a little bit more convoluted. That makes you question how, like you said, like how Harvey Dent's representing the Joker and why is it about, why is a Harvey Dent two-faced? You know, it starts posing a lot of questions, at least for me it did about what's really going on there's there's something behind the scenes and usually in this aspect it's the joker and yet in this instance the joker is just a pawn in the game rather than the main guy excuse me pulling the strings and it's very intriguing because when you get the reveal your life blows your mind because of who is actually pulling the strings is crazy <laughs> like i said this is really the heart of the story you start seeing the you start seeing things set up now that will pay off later like just like a good movie you, you see the the seeds planted and they come to fruition later so when you see the you see the rift between bruce and elliot you, you kind of get the impression how bruce comes off as a jerk and as a douche and all that but as much as Bruce does that, Elliot one-ups, because there's just some reading this that you can just tell that there there's more of a conflict than what's on the surface between those two. You, you see some things get tied up in nice little bows, and then you get other things that make you wonder what the hell's actually going on. How about Batman's unveiling of his identity to Catwoman? Is that, uh, does love conquer all things, or was this a big mistake? No, actually, because I think it it actually strengthens the relationship that you see between the two characters. Because there's always been that romantic tension between Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne. And then you see the love-hate relationship between Batman and Catwoman. Mm -hmm. Because Catwoman is a cat burglar that does what she does to survive, basically. She's not this overly evil villain in the Batman universe. She's kind of the chaotic neutral. You know, she's sometimes she's helping Batman, sometimes she's screwing Batman over. There's there's she doesn't go completely evil. She's not a, a hero. But with the dynamic when he reveals himself to her, it, it's just it's one of those moments in comic books that just catches the reader off guard and it's like it's a monumental moment in the Batman lore. So I think it was actually a good thing to do because it strengthens your your characters as a whole. And you don't have that, that what if, the uncertainty between the characters because you always wonder, well, what if they ever got together? This shows you, this gives you the opportunity to basically a fan fiction, one-off story where they actually do get, get together. Are you a big fan of Catwoman? I mean, what do you think? 
I'm more a fan of Selena Kyle than I am Catwoman. I think this her Selena Kyle side is a um, is a little bit more intriguing. But I, I like the fact that how Catwoman is portrayed. That she, like I said earlier, she's not necessarily a a 100% vigilante that's going to try to do stuff to be uh, completely evil. She does have a good side. She does have a conscience because she does bail Batman out of a few situations. But also you have the the side that you know she's got to do what she's got to do to survive. That would be like anybody in that position. You have a certain set of skills that you can exploit for personal gain. 90% of us will do that. Like, you know, I use my good looks to get by in life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't do very good at it, but <laughs> it happens. Um, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, you got you to gotta do what you got to do. I'll wear uh, my uniform pants to wrestling events and tell my medical staff to get in for it. You know, it works. <laughs> it does. That uh, it does. <laughs> I've been I've been privy to that. I've seen that happen. But, I mean, it's I like the Selena Kyle because she's more human. She gets to show her flaws. She gets to show her insecurities. A lot of times people don't get to see that in Catwoman. They see the way Catwoman is actually written is completely different than how Selena Kyle's written. It's like they're stark contrast of each other. Catwoman's an overly confident, overly sexed character. Selena Kyle's more of a, I've got to do what i got to do to survive. Mm-hmm. i got to figure out how I'm going to make ends meet. I've got to do this. That's why she takes on the Catwoman moniker. And a lot of people can relate to, uh, that's more relatable to a lot of people than the, the Catwoman, the overly sex, because anytime you see Catwoman, I mean, we, we'll go back to Michelle Pfeiffer, we'll go back to heaven forbid Halle Berry, <clears throat> or we'll go to, um, who, Anne Hathaway. Okay. Tight leather spandex suit, showing off every inch of her curves, uh, curves for miles. I'm pretty sure if there was a stray hair on that woman, you'd be able to see it. <laughs> um, when, when you see the Selena Kyle, you see somebody that is, that ha- that is faking the confidence, that is, is unsure of herself, but, you know, more, the more relatable character of the two. Yeah. Well, how about our second to last chapter there before we got to the, was it chapter seven? The Batman versus Joker? Dude, you I, had, you had I, to have had some feelings. I loved it because you get to see how far Batman is being pushed by Joker. And this goes back, there is such a hatred Batman has for the Joker, but not necessarily the Joker has the Batman. There's been many times Joker says, you know, I could just kill you, but what good would it do? I, I, I would lose my purpose in life. Exactly. And, you know, this comes from the Dark Knight. Heath Ledger had a great line from it that says, you complete me. Yeah. And it's and if you look at it from that perspective, it's a little bit more interesting. It's a little more, a little deeper that the Joker is actually the glue that holds Batman, Batman together. Because without the Joker, Batman isn't such a hero. Like our friend Robert Winfrey always says, your heroes is only as good as the villain opposite of it. Yeah, I'm just pulling through here, going through and looking at some of the, Jim Lee drawing this battle uh this beatdown batman gives the joker looks like harley's getting in on the action here too i mean we hit all these beats in this this is probably my favorite issue of this whole arc by the way we hit all the beats where joker has come in and and just somewhat affected batman's life barbara gordon 
Hey, go back in the archives right here on the Source Material Podcast, Rattletchin Broadcasting Network. You can hear, just like Jason Teasley said earlier, the killing joke. We get the, you know, death, the uh, a death in the family arc where Jason Todd is beaten to death. And that's brought up here. The Joker's really messed with Batman's life. And again, we're at a point where the Batman could kill Joker if he wanted to and end it all. It just, it's funny that it takes him, it takes that amount of anger for him to, to actually go that far and almost kill. I mean, like that's the one thing Batman will never do. He won't kill. Um, So, I mean, what's it take for him to finally put a stop to the Joker? Was it, you know, it's a murder of his, you know, his childhood friend. Everybody wants him to just go ahead and put a stop to the Joker. But if you put the stop to the Joker, it pretty much put a stop to Batman too. Yeah. How about uh, Bruce's unveiling of his identity to Catwoman? Any thoughts on that? Big mistake? <sighs> no, nah, it's bound to happen. I mean, everybody knows his identity anyway, pretty much. Uh, well, you know, he keeps it, I think he keeps a pretty good lid on it. He ain't the Flash. That's for no, sure. Going true, around yeah. and showing everybody, hey, yep, Barry Allen. Uh, nice to meet you, Barry Allen. I'm the Flash. How many sidekicks has he had, though? <laughs> Who, Batman or? Yeah. Yeah. Batman. I mean, you've got, what, like nine Robins, a Nightwing. <laughs> Um, you've got Batgirl, Huntress. They all know who he is. The whole Bat family. So, and, and by default, Catwoman is part of the Bat family. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll go ahead. We'll get. We're going to finish this out. Chapters nine through twelve. So, chapter nine, Batman. It's pretty much a Batman versus Ross uh, race. Ross. 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 Ross al Ghul. Ross al Ghul. So it's Batman versus Ross al Ghul here. Uh, he finds Ross' sword embedded in the Bat computer in the Bat cave. We also get a Catwoman versus Talia here. Uh, Bat- Batman tracks down Ross al Ghul to try and find out, okay, hey, are you part of this? What's going on? Why, Why are you messing with me? And we get you know, a, a battle that pretty much ends with Batman shoving the sword through racist, I mean, stomach. Uh, and, and of course, if anybody out there knows about race as race as a character, uh, he has this thing called the Lazarus pit, which has these great healing properties can basically bring somebody back from the dead or heal you. If you're gravely injured, what we end up finding out here is that there's some ash from a Lazarus pit left as a, uh, it's kind of a clue, and that kind of leads Batman to thinking that race, race, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pronounce it like twenty different ways. So just be prepared. He, he, he believes that. Let's <laughs> say Ross Al Ghul. Ross Al Ghul. All right. Uh, he believes that Ross is tied to it because you know you're not just going to find this Lazarus, Lazarus pit ash laying around anywhere. But Ross is steady saying, "Hey, it isn't me." But think about, and I'm gonna quote this. He says, "Think about it. Who in your life would wish to come back from the dead?" And that's kind of where we leave the chapter nine. Uh, we could talk about Catwoman getting her butt handed to her uh, by Talia and one of her guards who is on the brink of death. But luckily, Talia, who is a former lover of Batman, actually gets ready to leave and leave Catwoman in this, you know, this life endangered state, but ends up coming back and and realizing the conne- that she can even sense the connection between Catwoman and Batman uh, and how strong it is. And Batman, Batman might actually find somebody that he's that he could settle down with. All oh, you kind of get this, you know, you kind of get this vibe. So anyway, Talia says, hey, 
don't worry. I gave her some herbs. She's going to be okay. Even though she looks pretty, pretty beat up, she'll be fine. She's not going to die. All right. Chapter 10. Catwoman's going to stay in the Batcave and she's, she's hanging out there with, with Batman as he's getting sewed up. Robin shows up who doesn't trust Catwoman as far as he can throw her. We get a bit of a, a battle between Robin and Catwoman. Obviously Catwoman's had enough. She's like, you know what? I don't need this. Hops on a bat bike, takes on off out of the bat cave, <laughs> out into, into the streets of Gotham. Turns out this was the plan all along. Batman, uh, he's trying to find out if he can trust her or not. Him and Robin both followed Catwoman, who ends up running into, Catwoman ends up running into a Huntress. And Huntress is talking out of her mind. You know, she's she's just babbling all this nonsense and attacks Catwoman. So there's a bit of a fight between between them. Batman shows up. Catwoman's instantly mad because you know, that he was following her this whole time. She figures that out. You know, there's a bit of a battle and sure enough, Batman puts it together. Who else can put somebody in a crazy state of mind? Scarecrow. He knows that Scarecrow is somehow part of this plan, this big plan to let's talk about the plan real quick, because I I don't know if we're connecting the dots right or not, but the, you know, Batman knows that somebody is out there that's messing with his life. And each one of these rogues that keep popping up, you know, now a friend of his was brought back into his life after this bat cable was cut. And now that <laughs> friend is dead. Everything's bat. Everything, it is, too. We got bat cable. We got the Batmobile. But now his the friend's dead. Bat shark repellent. <laughs> but anyway, so Batman's putting it together that there's somebody out there that, you know, is putting on all these things together that are just, you know, messing with his life. During the interrogation of Scarecrow, Scarecrow is a, you know, kind of going to give him another clue as to what, you know, who is potentially behind this when he gets knocked out by a freaking, get this, Ronnie, Batarang. Hits, hits him <laughs> right in the head. Now, what in the world? Who's Who's got a Batarang? Just about his entire <laughs> gallery. I was getting smacked in the head with him. <laughs> Batman turns and looks, uh, you know, standing uh, above him with Robin as hostage, Jason Todd. Oh, my goodness. Now, we're coming back to that here in a second because we've got Chapter 11 to go over. And, I, I, you know, I kind of want to stop at the end of Chapter 11 before we hit the finale, okay? So, Chapter 11 hits. It's Batman versus Jason Todd. Oh, my gosh. Now, this is something that I can remember reading and going, this is unreal. I've told you guys in the past, we've talked about it on the podcast before, and Jason Todd's death affected me pretty greatly because that was one of the first comic books that I remember reading where a superhero death affected me uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. Jason Todd coming back from the dead, this was one of those, okay, Gwen Stacy moments where I was like, okay, Gwen Stacy's dead. She's going to stay dead. Now, here's, here's Jason Todd standing there in front of him. And Batman and Jason Todd start fighting. What ends up happening through this great battle is that Batman deduces that this is not Jason Todd. As a matter of fact, he starts to realize that the way that Jason Todd is fighting is not the way that Jason Todd fought when he was alive. This was, you know, Jason Todd was beat by the Joker and, and left bloody and dead. So what is going on here is the the shock of seeing Jason Todd alive. Batman starts to realize this stuff has been been done on purpose, but it just doesn't feel right. He starts to realize that the the moves that he he's using is is like Dick Grayson. And so he finally puts it down. And he has Jason Todd right there in his hands. And he says, you're not you're not who you say you are. And sure enough, the face melts away. And it's another one of Batman's rogues 
Clayface. Clayface can, I mean, he's kind of like a body snatcher where he, he can kind of mimic you, uh, whoever he gets a hold of, look exactly like them, and also almost like, what is it, the, the Marvel villain Taskmaster, where he can kind of do his, I don't want to say moves, but he can kind of mimic their actions as well. So again, we got another uh, false, I wouldn't say false lead, but we got another rogue here in front of us who is part of this elaborate game that kind of just melts away. Now, after the fight, Oracle finds another lead that goes to a guy by the name of Harold, who I have never, again, (laughs) they call me DC Light for a reason. (laughs) They call me DC Light for a reason because I don't know much about the DC universe, but Harold was somebody that I did not know of. So let's go ahead and see if I can get this right just from what I read. Harold is like the Punisher's microchip. He's a guy he brought into the Batcave to kind of help him out with computers, repair some things. But this guy was like a mute, and he was also kind of uh, uh, physically disfigured. It turns out Harold is somehow involved in this whole plan. So Batman says, look, I've got to go meet. I've got to go find him, talk to him, see what's going on. Finds Harold. Turns out Harold, who was a mute, can now speak and is going to you know, kind of starts giving him a little bit of some more clues as to who this it, this person was. Uh, but before, of course, he can reveal anything tremendously significant, he is shot in the head right in front of Batman. And Harold is dead. And of course, Batman turns at the end of the issue. There sits the bandaged villain who's been behind this the whole time. That is, I mean, if you look at this guy, it looks like the mummy. Okay. Yeah. And it, it's hush. Uh, so there we go. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. Jason Teasley, let's go ahead and start with you, man. The the, the Jason Todd cameo uh, that Clayface done was was great because you actually think that through the Lazarus pit, he has returned, which in Batman mythos, he actually is back, but the Lazarus pit. But the, the fact that they brought him back, and, you know, there's a little shade there that, where Robin goes, well, how do you know it's not him? He said, well, they were smart enough to age him to the appropriate age that he would be now. Yes. That would, that, that, he has that, that gray streak in his hair. Yeah. And he, he said that's one of the things, the key elements that revealed that it wasn't Jason. Because the Lazarus pit, you, you, you don't age. So you wouldn't have, he wouldn't have aged appropriately via the, you know, if he was brought back by the Lazarus pit. So, and just the, the whole fight that they had was just really intriguing and in the, in the build up to it and the culmination of it actually being Clayface was kind of a letdown. I mean, because I was like, I really hope this is Jason Todd. Yeah. That would be so great. But outside of that, this was, you, it, it just kind of plateaus until you get to the, to the later panels in, in, um, issue 11 where find out that the back cave was basically bugged. That's how this person got all this information. It kind of leaves a huge clue from uh, about who this who Hush actually is, because this guy was had severe scarring and tissue and disfigurement. But then he also wasn't able to talk. So I mean, I don't want to go ahead and spoil it, but it, it kind of the second time reading through it. It's these things I picked up on that I didn't pick up on the first time is it's giving you clues to who 
who their deal is going to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I mean, you could say there. Were, well, the good thing is, is as as we hit issue twelve, these eleven issues leave you when you first read them, you're like, oh, it's that guy, oh, it's that guy, and then we're at issue eleven, and it's Jason Todd that's behind us. You're like, oh my gosh, I mean, that, there's the guy that Lazarus Pit knows the Bat Cave, knows all the people that he's worked with. Can it, it was just it kept you on edge every and it's a single scapegoat because you see that Jason Todd would have knowledge of the Joker of Harley Quinn of you know all these ropes that and all these quirks that Batman have all this information when you see Jason Todd you think he's behind everything and then you find out it's Clayface it's like you know it's it's the classic who done it it's they give you red herring after red herring after red herring and it's just building you up just for that combination well batman it's he he is the world's greatest detective but he's kind of getting thrown off his game a little bit uh, because somebody's messing with his his history his mind his his family everybody he loves it's it, it was cool to see that you know with the whole clay face thing too it is like a classic whodunit but the detective is too emotionally involved right now to really find out who actually done it yeah yeah he's got to try and separate himself from his emotions mm-hmm. and with chapter 12, we'll go ahead and get into that here. We get our final battle, Batman versus Hush. Batman seems to be unconscious a lot. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. He's getting knocked out a lot. <laughs> There's, you want to talk about concussion protocol, Jason Teasley? Yeah, I was getting ready to say, maybe uh, if if Roger Goodell had anything to say in Gotham, Batman wouldn't be participating in his nightly, his nightly patrols. Oh, man. Batman versus Hush happens. These guys are fighting back and forth. Hush, Hush is not your typical supervillain. This guy is what trench coat wearing. How would you describe Hush there, Teasley? He he kind of looks like who he reminded me of, and I I, I'm, I know I'm gonna get the reference wrong because it's an obscure Marvel character. It's the um, Tombstone, okay, uh, but Bandy. I mean, just kind of a big, broad individual that. Where looks like he's going to rely on brute force more than anything, and he's going to try to overpower you. But he does something that very, if any Batman villains, I can't think of any off the top of my head. He uses guns. That's something you don't really see in the Batman universe. Is a lot of actual guns being used, and a lot of, and, and he's just so malice about it. And um, when he goes toe to toe with Batman, Batman's got all this background and. You kind of you kind of think that you know that Batman's going to handle this easy, but it's not quite as easy as people expect. He ends up getting, I think, knocked out <laughs> again. Clo- yeah, clearly. Uh, get your he- stuff together, Batman. <laughs> He's about to get killed, and luckily, Jim Gordon, not Jeff, <laughs> Jim Gordon shows up with all one face <coughs> and the Rainbow Warrior. <laughs> Harvey Dent shows up as well, and they are stopping Hush in his in his place. Now, throughout the battle, it's plainly obvious that (laughs) that our villain here is actually Thomas Elliot. I don't know about you guys, but as I was reading this, I I mean, up to probably the final, you know, the final bit where Hush is at here, I was like okay it's it's got to be somebody else it's somebody else it's still it's got to be somebody else so what ends up happening is jim gordon shows up and so does harvey dent they're trying to stop hush 
Harvey Dent grabs Gordon's gun and puts two in hush. I'm looking at the costume here. I don't know if you guys have it up in front of you here on, on YouTube, but I didn't realize that he actually had a freaking H and he's actually wearing a costume. Oh, he has an H on his chest and he's wearing a costume. I always thought he was just wearing the, the trench coat and that was it. But he gets two put into him and off of the docks, he goes into the water. Batman wakes up and he's like, wait a second. No, that can't be it. Jumps in after him, tries to go and save him. Uh, but he unfortunately is unable to find Hush slash Thomas Elliot. And by the way, you thought that was Thomas Elliot in the alley? No, sir. As a matter of fact, that was Clayface. And guess who did the surgery to help good old Harvey Dent become Harvey Dent again? That was Thomas Elliot. So Batman still got questions. And and Batman starts to realize that this does not, not all of this could have been done just by Thomas Elliot alone. He knows that someone had to have been behind the scenes pulling strings. So he, he tries to put things together. And sure enough, he comes up with an answer. And we find out the actual person that was pulling all these strings, pull, putting everything together. Teasley, I'll, I'll leave the honor to you, sir. Edward Nigma. The Riddler. Unbelievable. Which makes a lot of sense because you see this, the vast array of rogues throughout this, but one of the most notable characters was missing and nobody, and you never question it throughout the entire book. I mean, you see some of the big bad, you see the Joker, you see Harley, you see Clayface, Roz, you see Killer Croc, you see Catwoman, Poison Ivy. You never see the Riddler. And nobody ever questions it. Nobody says, well, you know, why, why is the Riddler not, not in here? And then you come to find out because he was behind everything. He had everybody else doing, doing his dirty work and he was sitting back laughing about it. I've always said, I think the Riddler is a much better villain than people give him credit for. The fact that he was the one behind it, the one you least expect because. I mean, let's be honest. He's the Riddler. I mean, his whole shtick is he leaves clues behind for you to follow. I mean, he's not really. Uh, he's he's Edward Nigma. He's he he's the one that that the the cool villains pick on. Two of your other A-list villains that are synonymous with Batman are also missing from the story. You want to take a stab at who those are? A-list that we haven't talked about. Ronnie, you got any guesses? Trying to think I mean, of some A-list villains. You've got the A-list right here. I mean, you've got Joker, uh, you've got Two-Face, Riddler, and even Catwoman, you know, in her day, uh, was an A-list you know, villain. Penguin. Um, so Penguins. Penguin. Penguin's, Penguin's one. not in there. Okay. Are we, are we counting Freeze? Yep. Okay. If you call Batman villains, you're going to get... Right off the top, top of the list, you're going to probably hear those Joker, Penguin, Freeze. Those are going to be three names out of the top five. Mm. Okay. No, it's going to be Joker, Penguin, Riddler. I said top five. That's three. <laughs> you're going to throw Freeze in. in. I can see it. I, I can. Those two are, yeah, you're right. Those two are prominently missing from here. I think that you could have used, especially Penguin being the, uh, since he's the uh, he's a huge crime ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you could have had him. You could have threw the red herring to Penguin before you even realized it was Riddler. You just had like the Riddler. And if you think back about it, like Ronnie pointed out, Riddler leaves clues. And there yeah. was clues left throughout the throughout the book. And when you read through it the second time, you're like, oh, well, yeah, there, here's this. Well, here's a clue. And it keeps, but yet it doesn't veer you toward the Riddler. It veers you to another rogue of some sort. 
and he's kind of pissed. Off. If I'm not mistaken, Riddler's kind of pissed off it took Batman so long to figure it out. <laughs> what I love about this is the fact that Riddler knows Batman's identity. He calls him Bruce right to his face. And Batman quickly turns around and decides, well, that's nothing to worry about. And I was like, what, what do you mean there's nothing to worry about? And then we figure out why. And that's because the Riddler values riddles so much. The mystery. Yeah, the, yeah, the mystery, the, the, that, that, yeah, just like you said, the mystery of, of something uh, that cannot be answered or there's an answer to, but only some one person knows what it is. And Batman calls him on it and says, look, he says, what good is, you know, what, what good is a, a riddle when everybody knows the answer? Yeah. You're not going to tell anybody my identity. <laughs> You're not and, even going to think about it. And, it. and the Riddler realizes that. And the Riddler's like, son of a. Okay. He, said, <laughs> and point. Like he goes, he goes, okay. Because that's what he prides himself on. Because he prides himself as being just as smart as Batman. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. I figured it out. I want to see if anybody else can. If not, that makes me the equal to the Batman. Yeah. And that's how he feels about it. And that's, that's a lot of the, the backstory to the Riddler. And that's, and that goes on how this is written because, like I said, like we've discussed, Riddler isn't a predominant villain. He's kind of the throwaway villain that everybody else like kind of looks down upon and stuff. Doesn't seem as a strong villain. When in all actuality, his intelligence is on par with Batman. He challenges Batman mentally. Yeah. That's his that's his thing with Batman. That's his his quirks. That's the rivalry that him and Batman have is the intelligence. No, he's not a physical threat to Batman, but intellectually he's either equal or superior than Batman. When I think of Riddler I don't think he's written right a lot of times, and I think they got it right in this one because I agree he's he's every bit as much of a um, an equal to Batman, you know, mentally. You know, he just he trips himself up with pride. He's he's a well known, so that's why I'm saying he's not a B list or C list or anything like that, and towards anybody because when you ask somebody, you know, even somebody's watched the show or anything like that, who who's the top? However many, you know, of course you're going to say Penguin, Joker, Riddler, and then it's kind of like, oh, who's, you know, who's after that, you know, Bane, and then maybe Mr. Freeze or whoever. I mean, he's no calendar man or anything like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, he's not, he's not that bad, but he's right. And but, so he's an A-lister, but a lot of, has a lot of, mm-hmm. nobody takes him serious. Well, he, he's campy. The way he's um, written a lot of times. Yeah. So I think this story did him a lot of justice. I think the first point of this book is to obviously get us involved in a, a great whodunit mystery. Who is behind this? Who is Hush? Who's behind Hush? We, we you know, we, the good thing is we get some of those questions answered here. But the second thing that I believe is more prominent in this is the love story between Batman and Catwoman. You know, at the end of issue 12, Batman and Catwoman meet up again and we kind of get a little bit. I wouldn't say it's not very much of a happy ending because Catwoman ends up, you know, looking like gets real close to him, looks like she's going to kiss him. And then she says the word hush and Batman immediately freaks out because, you know, I don't think she meant anything by it. But she just he's like, why did you use that word? She freaks out. And there's the whole trust thing between Batman and Catwoman as she walks away feeling you know, somewhat up, she's obviously upset about the way he responded to that. 
So there's a whole lot more that these two need to work out before things can actually go pretty smoothly. And that's kind of where we leave it. Batman and Catwoman kind of parting. I wouldn't say parting ways, just just kind of walking away from each other. As to whether the relationship continues, I do not know. I didn't I didn't read much past this. Go ahead. What do you want to say, Ronnie? I was just saying it's a doomed relationship, no matter how you look at it. Um, I would say that there is no hope either. It, it's the classic what if, uh, unknown, the jolted lovers that can never be together. So and, uh, that, that's kind of where we leave things. Batman, uh, you know, kind of brooding at, I don't know if that's the moon or the sun behind him, but either way, he looks scary. And that's, and that's the end of Chapter 12. So let's go ahead. We'll get into final thoughts here. This will be a good time to plug the sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Source Material, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, like I said, this is my probably my second favorite graphic novel of Batman, right behind Killing Joke, simply because it, it's it's a vast array of the, the Rhodes Gallery. It shows you the Bruce Wayne humbled and shows him as a human growing up, shows a little bit about and it introduces a great new character and somebody that has a a personal because a lot of a lot of the batman villains don't have something personal with bruce wayne it's batman but this is on a different level this is the hatred for bruce not the hatred for batman and that steps up the game that step that raises the the bar a little bit it, it's intriguing because you got somebody that you got somebody that's out there that knows Bruce's identity because Bruce's identity is one of the best kept secrets. Like we said, it's not the flesh. It's not that he goes out and, you know, blasts it all over social media or something in today's standards saying, Hey, I'm Bruce Wayne. I'm Batman. It's a, it's classically secret identity. So somebody knowing that is got a leg up on not only Bruce, but Batman. You don't know what happened to her. He vanished. Yeah. Well, you come to, you come to find out later what happens to him, but he, he vanishes. Yeah. Superman even know. can't even find him. Superman tries to find him and believes that he might have been washed out to sea. You don't get a, a conclusion to his story. It's left open ended. Yeah. We so, don't. So mentally that's not only going that's going to mess with bruce wayne and batman it's not as he's not going to be the proper headspace but i absolutely love the story the the way it was written each panel brought you in drew you into the story it's very hard to put down i i recommend anybody to go out and buy it. i'll even sign a copy if they need it i mean you know, just because i love the story that much don't ask me why i would sign it but you know <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, did you write it? Are you gonna you're gonna sign it because you love it that much? Uh, I'll sign it and just say, hey, this is my second favorite Batman book. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> I don't think it's gonna help the resale value. I'm just putting I, that out I, there. I, I, you never know. I could become like some. Yeah, yeah that's true. Uh, I've always really liked liked the storyline, this this arc. 
if, if you need to, yeah, I don't know if you can start there, but if you do need to start somewhere, that is a darn good place to start. Yeah. You know, you want to tell somebody, Hey, read this thing on its own, but there is a lot of history in this book. I mean, we're talking, you know, his, the Joker's run yeah. where he goes through all that part of history. But the good thing is, is that they, they encapsulate that along with some new history that's never even been thought of up until Jeff Lowe put it to paper. So yeah, saying that as some place to start out when he comes to Batman, uh, I would, you know, I could say it could be done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it could be done. I'll tell you what, though, the artwork is spectacular. It blows me away. And it even has, you know, you can even, I think one time they even threw props out to how he drew Batman's boots. Wow. That it's not just the, yeah, it's not just the, uh, he added life and, and realism to even that right down to Batman's boots because it's not the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, 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 the costume boots, you know, that slip on and uh, they almost look like cloth or rubber or something like that. These are combat boots, treads on the bottom that if you kick somebody in the face with them, it's going to hurt. It's going to leave a mark. Yeah. So let me ask um, you here, man. Yeah. Jim Lee, mm-hmm. where's your place in your top artists? I mean, I don't know if you have a top artist, but I mean, definitely in the top five. Top five? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I always have a soft spot in my heart. For, oh, absolutely. For the image artist will always be up there. I think top ten for me. Yeah, I, I, well, Alex Ross is going to be the first one. Now, see, I don't. He doesn't. He's amazing. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. He is amazing. But I, for some reason, in my opinion, I just don't dig his stuff as much as a lot of other people do. Well, that's just that's personal stuff. Now it's just personal. <laughs> no, stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I look at Hush, and I'm not looking at. Oh, crap. This is DC. I'm looking at Jim Lee take Batman to like, you know, the nth level and make me enjoy it. And Jeff Loeb's story. Yeah. I mean, this is a decent piece of writing. And my and my final thoughts here, my final thoughts here. It's a great book. It's it. Dude, Batman history encapsulated into that was one of the best things about this book is that Jeff, you know, touched on all of those important aspects of the life and times of Batman. Every person we looked at, you know, he, he was involved with Barbara Gordon. We've got a little bit of history on her in here. Uh, we got the new history with Thomas Elliot. We got the history between him and, and the Joker. His it, Just all that great stuff was put in there. We had all the rhyme and reason as to why all these characters were involved in his life and how this new character could become a you know, a blockbuster villain. Hush is is now part of the Batman universe. Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to give that Rattelich in Broadcasting Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer. We are at home on Spreaker, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and recently we have hit the air on Spotify. Find your favorite podcast platform and type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon.